1: morning, what is it? Morning Roxy Soxy? (laughs) What is it? It's kind of lunchtime-ish over here.
2: It's the witching hour right now. I hate the witching. I literally have,
1: I I, I realized, like I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I'm never, I'm not really that anxious during the day until it gets to 5 p.m. 5 p.m. hits and I have like a total panic and I just like want to check myself into the bedroom and not to want to talk to anyone because witching hour is like real.
2: Yes. What wouldn't that be like the nicest thing if you literally at five o'clock could check yourself into your bedroom and just be like, I'm done? Like, I, am what do you done. mean like? you wish I kind of do that. (laughs) Oh, I'm so
1: jealous. I just check the fuck out. I'm just like, uh, husband I'm going. No, I don't. It just depends on my day and my mood. But, um, Mm -hmm. yesterday I was on the kids full on, but like the day before I just checked out, you know,
2: sometimes you just need that though. You just need to like be away and like, not and not not have to deal and to take a minute right
1: and you know why it's because covid Hmm. and everything that's been going on which is why we got this amazing expert on this show that is coming up right after this Uh after our drivel of conversation in the beginning (laughs) (laughs) which is actually some of my favorite stuff (laughs)
2: um
1: uh, yeah i mean covid has just changed the world forever i mean it's definitely changed my life it's changed probably everyone's life, you know, in the beginning of COVID and tell me how you felt about this. Mm. I thought, you know what? It's not going to change my life that much. Didn't you think that? Didn't you think like, Oh, it's like this thing that kind of affects people who are older and we're not that old yet. And it's not really going to affect our children or anything like that. And then I didn't realize how not only was it going to affect our lives and everyone's lives, but so much uh, uh, in, in, in how much it was going to affect it.
2: Yes. And for like the length of time too, because I think when we first kind of started this, we thought, okay, it's going to be like a two week sort of a thing where we like Mm -hmm. all locked down and you know, it'll go away and then things will be better. And here we are cut to almost two years later. And it's still, out there and there are still yeah. people yeah. getting really sick. And so mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it totally changed things like the dynamic. I mean, right. Tam don't you remember that last week you and I, before we went into lockdown, we were recording our <laughs> podcast in the studio and we I were know. like, this is, you know, this is not going to be a big deal. And now
1: look where we are. And our know? friend Jamie was like, you know, this is going to be, and I was, I remember sitting at dinner with you going, <laughs> Jamie, I was like, I am not going to let something like this of like it's not gonna. I'm like, come on, I'm not afraid of viruses. So little did I know. And I think there's a lot of fear, obviously, surrounding, you know, what's going on with COVID and vaccines. And, you know, I I think it's under you and I are both fully vaxxed and Mm -hmm. um but I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. I were you- I remember I got the You're- call. I got the call. This was a lot. This was earlier on though, when the <laughs> vaccines just started to become available for, for us. And I was, I remember it was March, 2021. And that was before anyone was really vaccinated. And my husband said, we got an appointment and we're going. And I was nervous. I was nervous because you know, sometimes you don't know what to believe. And yes, I absolutely believe in science, but there's so much information and so much misinformation that sometimes your brain does go down that road. And I know you, 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 you come from a medical family. So you kind of just look to your dad and probably think that he has the answers, which he I'm sure does. But when you're not from a medical family, you have a lot coming at you and Mm -hmm. You don't know the right decision and it's scary. It's a very scary time. So when I feel fear, I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Let's debate the different issues. Not that there's really much of a debate because we're both, I think everyone in this podcast
2: is on the same side. I think, I think it's really important because like you're saying, there's so much misinformation out there and the whole thing became like really politicized and it became like Mm -hmm. us against them or them against us. And it's like turned into this whole thing where I think that people don't even really know, like what they're fighting about anymore they just think it's like political sides and it's all about you know gaining power and this and that and they're not looking at it like from a public health perspective you know yeah. which is scary so yeah i'm so glad without we further ado
1: time. and i yep. hope i say this beautiful woman's
2: name <laughs> how, <much are> <laughs> how much are we gonna bet
1: how much are we gonna meanie Munoz, I probably got it wrong, she can fix
3: it. You came close, you came
2: close. (laughs) I
1: came close, she is a science communicator and she sees the world through data and risk analysis which is a part of my brain that I need to start seeing the world through. Um, (laughs) And it's more about data over fear and that's I think what we need to be talking about right now because you know, I said this on my DMs the other day, I was like, it's all about risk analysis for me. And yes, everything has a risk but it's about which one is going to be he's going to show up more in your life. So thank you so much for being here. We have a million conversations, a million questions from a million people. So thank you. Thank you so much for
3: having me. And, you know, and so I, and I always, I always tell this to people, whether it's couples or people that have uh, just different opinions on a subject, it really comes from people's different perceptions of risk. Everybody has a different perception of risk. And in order for us to even start to address some of these concerns and start really kind of dismantling a lot of the misinformation, the first thing that we have to do is we we have to understand what people's perception of risk is. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just won't get through. Mm-hmm. You really won't. And you really and that requires, you know, a bit of, of empathy and mm-hmm. uh, just sometimes history, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, especially in the U.S. where, where I am. Um, you know, people have different reasons for vaccine hesitancy and vaccine resistant and I usually draw a distinction between them both you know vaccine Mm -hmm. hesitant are more people that are kind of waiting and seeing maybe they're unsure and then of course you've got people who are just absolutely like no way I'm not Mm -hmm. getting this vaccine. And as Roxy Mm -hmm. was mentioning, it was highly politicized, which is really unfortunate because you don't wanna do that with public health because it affects everybody. It affects the whole community. There's like a Mm -hmm. downstream effect. Um, You know, we're seeing it now here, more and more stories of people who are not able to get to a hospital because hospitals are overwhelmed or of healthcare workers who are just quitting. Mm -hmm. And that that results in a shortage that affects everybody in the community. so, so, so definitely a lot of what I do is understanding people's perception of risk, and then kind of telling a story around mm-hmm. that uh, other than uh, instead of me coming in and saying, well, here's the science, here's the data, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I don't like that because it doesn't get through. And, and I, and I know that from my years teaching, cause I used to teach at Cornell <laughs> for, for mm-hmm. like over a decade, I used to teach really complex mm-hmm. subjects. And I, sometimes I couldn't get through in a certain way, but if I, Kind of change my tune, or if I by draw like certain analogies. If I drew certain analogies, then I my, my my students would be receptive. So I started to explore different ways of teaching, different ways of learning, and I've taken that experience combined with my professional experience, which is literally designing products and making sure they don't fail. That's all risk analysis, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like if I design a part for a pilot, I have to make sure that the pilot interprets the part correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the design of the product it's the behavior of whoever is using that part. Cause so it's kind of fascinating mm-hmm. when you do risk analysis on a product. And I've taken the combination of those two things mm-hmm. to communicate science. And I use my platform to intersect all these different voices—immunologists, infectious disease researchers, EPIs—to um, tell a story around people's perception of risk. So it, it's really just a wonderful kind of almost labor of love for me, mm-hmm. um, just being able to do that. Um, but yeah, but it's—it's it's, we, we have to understand where people are coming from to really, mm, you know, dismantle point. those fears because it's—it's a lot of fear. You know, we're looking at fear responses. Um, you know, you were just saying, and that's exactly what's happening. You have two ways of responding to emotion. I'm not sure if you know what these are. They're, they're mm-hmm. like what we call um, um, uh, bottom up, right? So that's from like your amygdala and then uh, uh, top down, which mm-hmm. is through your prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the bottom up response is a purely emotional response. Like when you're startled. So you don't even process information, you immediately respond with emotion, right? And you can disable that response with information by, by enabling the prefrontal cortex. Um, so it's kind of like this balance. You kind of need a little bit of this fear to um, look for the right information. The problem is what happens if you encounter misinformation? And then that keeps driving these neural like feedback loops that keep heightening the fear mm-hmm. response which mm. make you less receptive to the right information. So mm. that's that's why Nini and the brain, like the whole idea of the account was let's disable mm. these fear responses. Like that was the original mm. intent um, with data, but telling the story.
2: So you know we were on a really good trajectory. Um, you know with vaccines, like at the mm-hmm. beginning, like right there was like a very high demand. Like people really wanted to wanting to get in and get the vaccine. And I feel like here now we've sort of hit this bump in the road where it's like, now we have this supply and people are vaccine hesitant or vaccine resistant, you know, and they don't want to get the vaccine. And then, you know, we have this Delta variant that's now come around and people are ending up in the hospital. And I think people are getting confused. They're like, well, wait a minute. I thought if, you know, you were vaccinated, you know, you can't get sick. And there's just all this misinformation So can you kind of clarify that a little bit? Sure, so there's a couple of points here to to address. The first thing is that
3: vaccination is a community effort. We don't say vaccines save lives, we say vaccination saves lives. Hmm. Like if you think about us growing up, like we've grown up with herd immunity from all these other diseases, right? But we see that if there are communities that fail to vaccinate, you see these Hmm. outbreaks and they reemerge. So vaccination is a community endeavor, which means we need a lot of people vaccinated to really, really slow down that transmission um, to a higher degree than where we are. Because in the US, we're like at we're like at 54, 55 percent And that's not nearly as high as where we need to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And the second thing to um, to understand is that you know vaccines are one of the many layers of risk mitigation. And like any other intervention, they are not a hundred percent effective. There is variability in immune responses. Uh, with with you know SARS-CoV two virus and a COVID nineteen infection, we really do see that um, it's it, it, you know it's the biggest determinant of a health outcome is really age because as we age, our immune system changes, and we are seeing that. Some of what some of some of the mechanisms of action mm-hmm. um, that are being explored in, in, in regards to why do some people get severe disease have to do with you know delayed responses like interferons and cytokine storms and all that mm-hmm. that usually um, kind of get worse as we age so that's why we see that big age dependency um, so with vaccines we can imagine that a similar effect is in place where younger people elicit much stronger immune responses. And in fact, when we see some of these risk factors, because there there are risks with with these vaccines, and we can talk upon what those are, you see it in like the the younger cohorts, uh, as opposed to like, you know, an older demographic, it's not as they're not as vulnerable to the risks, such as myocarditis, or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, But we we do see that, uh, that while they have milder Side effects; they also probably mount a less robust immune responses. So, mm. so yeah, and 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 when you have a lot more virus, as we 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 think that's happening, a lot of people have wondered if it's a behavioral response. We really do think that the virus is just replicating a lot faster. Um, yeah, like you know. With, with too much virus, any it's going to punch through any vaccine. So you're going to get these breakthrough cases. And I mm-hmm. love using the analogy of uh, sandbags and a concrete wall, uh, because if you put sandbags in front of your property and you built a concrete wall to, to help you from a flood, if there's a little bit of water, those, sand, those sandbags are going to do an A plus drop. But as soon as you've got too much water, like those sandbags are not gonna hold, right? Mm-hmm. But as long as you have your concrete wall, as long as you have that concrete wall, you know, your property is gonna be okay. And so mm-hmm. with immune responses, we see something similar. You know, our, you know our, we have the, the, the antibodies, right? Antibodies really are critical to prevent an infection, but we also have a lot of virus with Delta. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we went from a, a virus that could on average infect, two to four people a few months ago, right? Mm. Each person could an average two to, to now the, the last, somebody just messaged me said seven to 10, I think six to nine was the last one, the last mm. number put out by the CDC. So that's like, that's twice as much. I mean, that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you can imagine that there's just a lot more virus circulating. So it is more likely we're gonna see these breakthrough infections, but for most people that have been vaccinated, they already have that wall. Built up, So, yes, you might get a breakthrough, you might develop mild symptoms, but for most people, you will see that that wall will hold up and it'll prevent severe disease, but not for everybody, especially for people who are sadly immunocompromised, you know, organ transplant mm-hmm. recipients, mm-hmm. Uh, people undergoing chemotherapy. And we see that in Israel, if you take a look at the uh, breakthrough data of, of uh, hospitalized patients in Israel. Forty percent of them were immunocompromised, so you really mm-hmm. see a skew uh, in the older demographic that hasn't mounted those robust immune responses. Those are the people that I, that unfortunately are getting you know severely ill. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. also why the booster doses have been authorized, and we see in, in Israel it really did make a significant impact in that older demographic. So you know like they present their data under sixty, over sixty, mm-hmm. you know under sixty maybe it'll prevent an infection, but under 60, the likelihood of a severe infection if you've been vaccinated are still marginally low. You know, Mm -hmm. over 60, we see, you know, that that immune response attenuates, but with the latest booster, that the third shot, uh, and I can talk a little bit more about that later, um, Mm -hmm. uh, we do really see that it is comparing more protection on on onto this age group, which is important.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest questions I get on my DMs are, and I—I'm I, a layman, so I just—I try not to answer it and try to funnel people over to you. But is like, if I can get COVID and I can spread COVID, then what's the point of the vaccines? And yet. I don't understand why, because what I've learned from all of this is, well, you can still get it, but you're less likely if you get it to pass it to someone else. So the reason to get the vaccine is it keeps you out of the hospital and you're way less likely to spread it to other people. Is that correct?
3: (laughs) It is correct. Because first people, people forget that you cannot transmit a virus you don't have. So vaccines already lower your likelihood of getting an infection in the first place so just that, mm. that first layer right statistically okay so first of all you are currently with delta you're roughly five times less likely to um to get an infection if you're vaccinated so that's the mm. first thing if you do get infected if you are a breakthrough um you are going to be less contagious for a variety of reasons so there there were you know There's been different uh, studies. One of them showed that relative to unvaccinated people, vaccinated people have a lower contagious virus. Um, Mm -hmm. Also um, uh, relative to unvaccinated people, uh, people who have been vaccinated, they clear the virus a lot faster, which makes sense because we've got that wall. So Mm -hmm. people who are unvaccinated have to build that wall. And that's Mm -hmm. where a lot can go wrong. And you're talking a lot of, of about a lot of virus, which is why we we were also seeing an increased risk um, of hospitalization in, in some of these younger age groups, because it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's very, very different to what, what we started out with. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so, so, so aside from the fact that, you know, you're less likely to get an infection, you are less likely to transmit it. But even more importantly, and this is what I think is to me, like the most uh, the biggest benefit of of vaccinating right now is to relieve the burden on the healthcare system. Right. Because if you mm-hmm. cannot get to like it's not just affecting people who get a COVID-19 like, you know, infection. It's affecting mm-hmm. everybody else. And I already see it coming. Like I already see it coming that we're going to have more uh diagnoses of like all these other conditions because people haven't been able mm-hmm. to get to see their doctors. They, mm. they just haven't, you know, it, 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 we, we only have a limited amount of healthcare workers and physicians and frontline workers. So if you, if you burden that system, two things happen. Well, first it sets a stage where if you have a heart attack, you won't be able to find care. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and more importantly, like I like to think about the younger generations I'm like, these are the doctors that are going to have, that we want them to stay in the workforce. We want mm-hmm. them to have the experience. You know why? Because we're aging more. And I always tell people, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. if you if you compare to where we were, like the 1900s, and I'll have a great post on this tomorrow, by the way, where I talk about how our health actually has gotten better. We are living longer. That's why... When people say, oh, there's more deaths from cancer, I'm like, yeah, well, there's more people living above 70. So what are you expect? Right right, <laughs> right. 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 And so, and so, so if, if we're an aging population, we already know that fertility rates are dropping, less women are choosing to have children. You know, that's mm-hmm. a given. We are aging more. We need experienced healthcare practitioners. So we can live yeah. that long. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to burn them out, right, not only does it put our health at risk, but also like much younger generation, like children, Mm -hmm. you know, who are going to grow up and eventually develop chronic diseases, because that's what happens as we age, that's part of aging. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, speaking of like the children, especially now that you brought it up, you know, there are a lot of questions out there about, especially for children under like 10 years old, you know, Mm Tam and I, we all of our girls are seven and under. People are wondering, should we get our kids vaccinated when it's, when they're able to be vaccinated, especially like this younger age group, like under 10 years old, what are your thoughts on that? And especially with female children, because there's also something going around about it. Fertility. Affecting fertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we can so, talk about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, for the yeah. kids, like, will this, if we get our young daughters, you know, vaccinated, will it affect their fertility later on? And also I want to like add to that
1: if you're, if we're going to talk about the fact that that isn't true, where does this come from? Like, where is well, this inf- misinformation? Because so many it's, people that I've heard, I've six friends who are pregnant who are not getting the shot. And I'm like, who well, I, I don't understand. And it, so
3: let us, think, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go back. So to begin with, remember that, um, fertility is, uh, it's a high evokes highly emotional responses in women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anti-vaccine advocates have been using fertility arguments way before COVID-19 vaccines, and I've talked about it. They actually started this with the HPV vaccine. So this goes way back. They know what they're doing. So they know what they're doing when they bring up fertility and um, the fertility argument. And with the HPV vaccine, they kind of said oh well if it's something that's preventing like a viral infection in the reproductive organs then it's it could lead to infertility and there was really no basis for that because a vaccine is not a therapeutic it prevents you from having something it doesn't clear an HPV you know infection Mm -hmm. once you have it right Mm -hmm. and so um and so this was followed up with a a poorly designed study um I think her name was Gail DeLong and she compared you're gonna love this one she compared highly educated women Mm -hmm. um uh older in age to um who are more likely to get the hpv vaccine Mm -hmm. to women with less educational attainment who did not get vaccinated so you know and there's a correlation people we know that women that um go for like degrees and higher degrees, delay having children. And so Mm -hmm. she compared these Mm -hmm. two groups and she said, look, those people who are getting vaccinated, the fertility rates are lower." Of course, this was retracted, but you can imagine that they've been doing Mm -hmm. this for a while. Mm -hmm. So with COVID-19, what happened early on is, again, because this, you know, I always tell people like conspiracies don't have to be true. They just have to be plausible. That's Mm. all it takes, that element of possibility. Like Mm. I can start a conspiracy today that says, eating too much broccoli could potentially give you cancer. And then I could tell you, because you can't prove to me that that's not true, therefore it must be true, which Mm. is what we call the argument from ignorance, which is what they do, right? So it's Mm. kind of like saying you can't prove it to me, so therefore it must be true. So with with COVID-19, they picked one protein, like, you know, this is the protein, the protein syncytin one, which is a placental protein that shares a few amino acids with like the spike protein, right? And Mm -hmm. so they, from there, they kind of concluded, oh, look, it shares a few amino acids. If you create antibodies for like the spike protein, you're gonna create antibodies for this other placental protein, which is untrue because we have overlapping amino acids of the spike protein with collagen. So anybody that has had a COVID infection would would be experiencing like a collagen, you know, disease. You look great. (laughs) Um, and and so so and 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 that's not how it works. You know, proteins have to fold. So just because you have a few shared amino acid residues doesn't imply but the the lock and key mechanism, like, you know, these proteins are very specific. Antibodies are going to be very, very specific to the protein. And just because you share these residues doesn't imply that it's going to have like the same effect. But Mm -hmm. of course, as I said, all you need is that, you know, that just plant that seed of doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Just the plausibility, what if? And then it took a life of its own. And so of course you saw Mm -hmm. that it went from there to, Oh my goodness women are you know women are losing their babies when they're getting vaccinated, which is not true because w- w- what one does is one looks at the background rates of the population. you know you know most women that I've known, myself included have had a pregnancy loss you know it's extremely mm-hmm. traumatic. Yeah, I've and had they a couple yeah, and they 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 also take advantage of that because we are in a very vulnerable state. I remember when I had like my pregnancy loss; I think I was crying for like two months. You're in a very vulnerable state, and you're in a state where you are going to be uh, more emotional. So, again, talking about that, you know, bottom up, top down system. So,
0: mm-hmm.
3: that moment, the bottom up system is fully enabled. So, it's an emotional response. You're less receptive to information. Um, And and that's what they're doing. So they're building up a narrative. And of course, using like these anecdotes. But the truth is, we have absolutely not one shred of evidence to indicate that vaccinating uh, increases your risk for miscarriage or that it causes infertility because even women who've had COVID have been able to conceive. So we would have been, we would have seen this already, even with like a, you know, with, with the SARS-CoV-2 like infection, even before Mm -hmm. vaccination. And we did, we didn't, we didn't observe that in any capacity. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course it just builds up, right. You know, Mm -hmm. then the next thing you know, you have like, oh, there's this study that shows, you know, bits of like the spike protein and the reproductive organs. And then they're, they're citing a study on a rat that receives 400 times the dose that, we get right and Mm. so so a lot of these studies really get taken out of context Mm. and and you really have to look at what we call like the the large scale population data so the epidemiological data what does it say we see it over and over you know Mm. women who have been vaccinated uh, with the COVID-19 vaccine and are either wanting to conceive or um or are at some point in the journey of their pregnancy, are not experiencing any more severe adverse outcomes relative to the baseline population. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have like numerous studies. I think I I I must have summarized like 16 of them in a post that I did a couple of weeks ago with fertility. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, yes, I read
1: that one. Yeah. I save all your um, posts and they send them to people. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's really unfortunate because you know, pregnant women are at high they're high risk uh, for a severe COVID-19 outcome. And we're, see- I mean, mm. I, I don't really like to, you know, I don't like to put this kind of stuff on my stories. Like, you know, some of the messages that I get from OBGYNs and what they're saying, cause I also don't want to like use fear, you know like a, mm. part of what I'm trying to do is to just provide information and understand people's perception of risk and understand where they're coming from and provide them with the data. Uh, but some of the stories that I'm, I'm really hearing about in the background, because. We we all talk amongst ourselves, different mm-hmm. science communicators. Some of the things that I'm hearing are really disheartening and are really traumatic. In um, mm-hmm. as far as you know, women losing not only losing their child, but they're losing their lives on a ventilator mm-hmm. because they have not gotten a COVID
2: nineteen vaccine. Mm-hmm. And what about with the kids? Like these kids under ten, should we vaccinate them when they become available? I think yeah. So, so I think it comes down to like the risk
3: versus benefit, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. any intervention and you have, and you really have to look at it that way, right? You know, risk, you know, children are at, at a lower risk. The the risk is not zero, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is where I think that, you know, as a parent, you also (laughs) want to weigh what that means to you. Like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to you? Like, are you willing you know, to, 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 to take this risk, or are you willing to take that? The bigger concern, I think the biggest concern we have with um, uh, our mRNA vaccine, this is the risk of myocarditis, which is a very real risk, we've identified it. Currently, we see it in um, uh, a bit of an older demographic, like 16 to 17 year olds, and then it kind of, you know, mm-hmm. tapers off a, a bit. So it's, it's, it's kind of around the idea of, we have to use pharmacovigilance and keep mm-hmm. track of it because you know ultimately the myocarditis is very mild and self-resolving but you know i'm not a parent but i can understand a parent when a parent might be like i don't know that i want to do that i don't know especially if the risk of you know of a severe COVID outcome is uh, is is it's less likely now what worries me a little bit about the pediatric population is you know, we're learning more and more about this virus every day, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like with HPV, an example, like we eventually found out, oh, wow, it increases your risk of cervical cancer. And so with with, with these viruses, the question then becomes, what could happen in that demographic, right? If they, they have like a COVID-19, uh, if they have COVID-19 disease or a SARS-CoV-2 like infection, like, Yes, they are less likely to have a severe outcome. They're probably going to be fine in a couple of days to like a week. But what could happen later on, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I, I, I really, you know, highlight the pediatric population is because if you think about it, they've got more years of life mm-hmm. left to live. Mm-hmm. And so if you, one way of thinking about it is like, it, it, it's just a bigger loss.
2: Mm-hmm. for that
3: demographic if they have to live with you know a, a comorbidity that might come up later on with mm-hmm. with myocarditis for instance we know that the the risk of myocarditis from the COVID from COVID-19 is much higher mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. with a vaccine so mm-hmm. it's like oh okay you know so it's it, it and it varies by age group I always try to teach people you got to really look at it by age group because each mm-hmm. age group is different you got to stratify it um but, but that is like one of the concerns that I have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I talked to our local uh, pulmonologist, Dr. Sager, he told me, he said, you know, my, be- my biggest concern, he said to me, is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, even to people who have had a mild infection, um, what's going to happen like 10 or 20 years down the road? am I going to be seeing people with like emphysema and with all these other complications we already know that uh, dementia seems to be impacted like it seems to increase the risk of neurological like uh, uh, disorders Mm -hmm. we 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 see increased incidence of tinnitus the loss of like taste and smell for many people Mm -hmm. I have family that haven't really regained their taste in like since December and they were Mm -hmm. perfectly healthy perfectly healthy. My by husband, the way. yeah. Okay.
1: I think what I'm confused about is like when I grew up, we got vaccines to go and travel. You know, I got the typhoid vaccine to go to parts of Asia. Um, yeah. I got vaccines as I grew up and, and it wasn't really ever a thing. It wasn't politicized. Um, maybe we should, I, I do know of some, um, friends, kids who have had minor issues from a vaccine. They had one of them had a a seizure on the table, which is a febrile seizure, which can happen. So maybe we should have looked more into vaccines back then. But my thought of like believing in science is that I think that vaccines do way more good than they do harm. But then there are some harm that they have done. I mean, can vaccines harm is my first question. And second is I don't think what we're talking about is the level of like the rate in which they can harm because, you know, we were saying like the blood clots, like you were talking like AstraZeneca, my parents got AstraZeneca, they were really worried about the blood clots, but they were saying it's like a not point, not not, 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 not 1% chance that you could get a blood clot. Whereas in the pill, that we take, it's one in a hundred or something, but no one's really even talking about that. And yet we're making this such a massive deal because what you're saying I'm listening to and I'm like, wow, like maybe I should be nervous. Maybe I shouldn't be nervous. I've really got to look at the data, but isn't the data so
3: minute when it comes to what can actually happen through vaccines or am I wrong? No, you're not. It's like the, the risk of an adverse event from a vaccine is really small. In fact, you're gonna love the post that I'm working on for Friday where I'm comparing the risk of cosmetic procedures mm. with the risk of vaccines, and I'm talking about the distortion. So there's there's a lot of distortion that happens, mm. uh, you know, in our cognitive ability to, to interpret risk. We're, we're terrible at calculating risk, right? First mm-hmm, of all, yeah. like humans, um, but a lot of it has to do with um, with you know uh, people's uh, kind of like how they benefit from an intervention. You know, like with a vaccine, it's like mm-hmm. uh, you know Seth Berkeley, Um, who's, like, the director of, like, the Vaccine Alliance, he once said that vaccines are victim of their own success because when they work, you experience nothing but the absence of disease. (laughs) So so it's true, and what, you know, and so, and so, and also usually, you know, the way, the way the vaccines are being, uh, um, the way they've been politicized, it's, like, like a requisite, right? You have to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was up for my shot, I was like, oh my God, I'm so ready. Like I felt here. <laughs> <Right. volunteer, laughs> but I can imagine that for people who uh who, who are less, you know, who are, are more reluctant for them, it felt more like you know, so. It changes your perception of a risk when something is required versus when something is voluntary. That's that's mm-hmm. the first thing to acknowledge. Uh, but the risks vaccination, they're very small, but they're, they're real. Like they do exist. And and it's important that we acknowledge it, whether or not there could be the immune system is a bit of like a a Pandora's box, right? Like you can't really, because most of these adverse events result from these immune mediated reactions. um, It's just really hard to predict who is Mm -hmm. going to be vulnerable to such Mm. an outcome or not. And, it and is when you really say small,
1: okay. is there a percentage of what small is? Like, is there a percentage Yeah, usually of
3: like, like in, in the single digits per million, single digits per million. And as far Can as- Can you say adverse, that not
1: point, not, not, what is that? <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> that would be point zero, 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 0.00001, right. Okay.
1: That's why I, I got the vaccine, to be honest, because I kept saying that yeah. in my head. I said, you know what, Zero point zero 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 one, And I know that the risk for me to actually get covid and get very sick was much higher. Much higher, than that. higher so that was my, my own that. Risk. that was my own risk assessment.
3: Yeah, but but as I said, it, it you know, it, and it's it, and it's different for every person. Um, like you know, some people may weigh more like the individual risk versus benefit. Um, I've always, for me personally, like the risks that I always saw, and maybe because my mother was a nurse, was like I don't want to burn out our healthcare workers. Like Mm -hmm. that was always like the the, from the very beginning of like the pandemic, that's what I saw. I was like, if this workforce gets burned out and by the way, a lot of them are already burned out because Mm -hmm. we already have shortages in the US even prior to like the pandemic. Um, If that's a huge risk to the whole community Every single thing you do, you wanna go like skiing, guess what, tough luck, you can't get into an accident. Like you get Mm -hmm. into a car accident, who's gonna take care of you? Mm -hmm. So it increases the risk associated with every single activity that we perceive as risk-free nowadays because we have access to healthcare. And it's really fascinating. I actually, I'm working with um, an economist from Wharton and we, I told them, let's do a little experiment. So I downloaded uh, data on vaccine attitudes. He downloaded the data on uh, GDP per capita and there's a clear correlation. So wealthier countries are more vaccine hesitant.
2: Mm-hmm. <gasps> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah.
3: Huh. yeah, because we have access to healthcare because we don't see these diseases. Like we just don't experience them, experience mm-hmm. them so for us it's more like this far this foreign threat right mm-hmm. um like and, and, it, and it's it's kind of funny like you were talking about your discussion with your husband because early on in the pandemic so i'm, I'm colombian right so
0: mm-hmm.
3: i grew up like they had to boil water <laughs> to prevent like dengue <laughs> and all that <laughs> and um and, and i came to the u.s when i went to school and when this pandemic first started this was This is like 2019, December 2019. I saw it coming. My husband didn't. And I was like one of the few people who actually bought toilet paper
1: at a schedule. Yeah, my husband did
3: too. I I actually bought it like in February. (laughs) and then everybody was like i can't get any toilet paper i had like a whole like i had like boxes stacked up because you're like i'm rich with
2: toilet paper
3: i right (laughs) i got the new currency but um Mm -hmm. but but i i saw it and maybe part of that was you know being born and raised in colombia and being exposed to like you know a more fragile you know healthcare infrastructure -hmm. infrastructure back then right um or being, or maybe being more exposed to like the disease, I immediately recognized the threat. And I was like, this thing is coming. Whereas my husband, mm-hmm. I remember he was like, oh no, like, like, you know, he didn't think it was going to make the leap. Whereas mm-hmm. I was just like, it's only a matter of time. And I needed to get um, an appendectomy. Um, Cause I've had, had, like really chronic appendicitis. And I was like, let me get this done. And or at least that's what they tell you that it's chronic appendicitis. I'll, I'll, I'll believe that. All and so right. I was like, <laughs> and so I was just like, I was trying that there was only one surgeon that I wanted. Cause she's like this petite French woman. And I know that mm-hmm. she wasn't just going to slice me open. And she was like, okay, <laughs> this is <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure she's going to not leave like a scar. So I only wanted to go in with her cause it was laparoscopic. And mm-hmm. I was just like looking at the, at the calendar and I was like, oh my God, I've, I've got to go do this. And I went in and out of the hospital March 16th, mm. 2020. And I remember being home like that day, like that evening. And the first thing that pops into like my, you know like my phone or local news is that the first patient had been admitted to the hospital in Santa mm. Barbara. like that day because that was was exactly what I was trying to avoid um Mm -hmm. but yeah but everybody's perception of risk is entirely entirely different um Mm -hmm. but but yeah the risk exists it's 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 really small but it's 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 something that I you know and I have a lot of a lot of people in in, you know that that support my work that that have gone through one of these experiences and it's Mm -hmm. a totally different conversation because at that point it's like you know you just it's 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 you just can't dismiss it. You can't say, Mm -hmm. oh, like the risk is, you know, really, really, really small. You just can't, you know, it's to me, that doesn't feel right. I think that Mm -hmm. where, you know, where, where one can engage more is like kind of like saying, you know, we know that there are risks with any intervention, but there really are risks with everything we do in life. Like we could be walking on a sidewalk to be safe and we could still Get run over by like a drunk driver, right? Like you Mm -hmm. Mm just—it's the the only way of not of living a risk-free life is to cease to exist, and Mm -hmm. that's just it. And the older we get, the more risk we're going to experience because we're getting older and we're going to be vulnerable to all these things. And it's—it is the silver lining if you think about it. Public health responses and technology and modern medicine made our lives better. One could argue, okay, we're, we're no longer dying before we turn one, like mm-hmm. hundred years ago, 17% of births resulted in a death within like a year. That's really mm-hmm. high. Less mm-hmm. than 4% of the population lived to be 65 and over versus like 17% now. So mm-hmm. like, so public health responses made it so that we now get to live longer, but they also opened a window of uncertainty that think about it, we haven't even been living this long for very long. Mm-hmm. We don't have all those answers that people want, and, and we don't sit well with uncertainty. So a mm-hmm. lot of what we're seeing also is an effect of public health responses that made our lives better in a really sudden, you know, short amount of period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but overall, it's better. We are better off than we were.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, and I think too, social media plays such a big part of like all this, right? Because it's like, depending on whose page you're going to, or whose post you're looking at, you're getting, you know, one set of information versus another. And I see people post about natural immunity is something that they Mm -hmm. post about. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh no, you know, I'm in my thirties, forties, you know, I'm relatively young, I'm healthy. I work out, I sleep nine hours a night. <laughs> I take zinc, I take vitamin D. They obviously like, don't have kids then. Right? Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly.
2: exactly, Their immune system hasn't really been put yeah, to the yeah. test. Um, but they say they take all these things and they're doing the quote unquote right things, you know, with working out and sleep and eating well and eating veggies. And so they say, oh, well I have natural immunity. I don't need the vaccine. What do you say to somebody like that? Because I see these things posted rampantly Mm -hmm. on social media. I I usually
3: remind them of the Spanish flu where Mm -hmm. the, the peak of the mortality was 20 to 40 healthy year olds. Like that's that's most people died. They were 20 to 40 year olds because immune mediated responses are highly unpredictable. Yes. There's higher risk with, um, with, uh, with age and Mm -hmm. COVID like you see different patterns of mortality with different viruses because different viruses have different machinery (laughs) and the way they interact with your, your, with your body and your immune system is different. So in the case of SARS-CoV-2, it has proteins that allow it to hide from like the immune system. So for people where, you know, as you get older and you get more, what we call interferon and cytokine, uh, uh, dysregulation, that has a big effect, right? So they don't mount the, the, the immune response as quickly as they need to. And so, you know, the inflammatory processes continue to, um, to, to, to kind of expand in the process. And so we see a lot of that, but, but immune-mediated responses are highly unpredictable, even, even for a healthy person. And while the risk of a severe severe COVID outcome that may land you in hospitalization, is, it's, it's small, you know, let's use the data that we have. It is really small. There is this other aspect of, of, of long COVID, which those figures are not small. You know, different studies report different things. We see from 10 to 30 percent, like living with a comorbidity when you're young. As I said, it's like the younger you are when you hit a comorbidity, the more like if you think about it, if you want to think about it in terms of like economics, this value of, of a statistical life, it's like the more years lost uh, because- you have to live with this comorbidity, and so mm-hmm. so there is that aspect, and that is really unpredictable. As I said, I know a health twenty nine year old with no underlying conditions, mm-hmm. and she's still my husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. and and then her heart, she still has like weird heart palpitations, mm-hmm. and that's like the bigger question: mm-hmm. like, what is that going to do later on? Why would you want to take like that risk? And this is really interesting. So they don't understand why, they don't understand why the you know the Spanish flu specifically had that peak of the mortality uh, in those you know healthy uh, uh, twenty to forty year olds. But one of the theories, and you know who actually wrote this is Spougey. He actually has a paper on this. It's really fascinating. One of the theories was that because they were exposed to a prior virus that left them vulnerable. to this one, Um, Mm -hmm. it's it's one of the many theories. And so it's like, it's like, yeah, like, what if you get a COVID-19 infection? um, And I'll talk a little bit more about what we see with natural immunity, because I think it's important um, um, to discuss it. Like, what if that then leaves you primed for something Mm -hmm. later on? Like and I have to say
1: that one thing because, I, and I want you to say the natural immunity, but I want to explain what you just said because my husband got a severe case of COVID. He's in his 40s, um, no pre-existing conditions, yeah. very fit, very healthy, got so sick we thought we were going to lose him twice. And he kissed me two hours before he got symptoms. He slept with the kids the night before. None of us got it. So what you're saying, like, I know it's a theory, but in a way it's like, maybe that just makes more sense or maybe his immune system responds in a different way. But it was just so fascinating that I was with him 24 seven until he got so severely ill in the same house and cared for him. And none of us got sick. We got tested we got the antibodies, didn't have any of those, but until we got obviously the vaccine. But that is fascinating to me,
3: but yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's completely unpredictable. And, and, And it's like, why would you wanna like, play Russian Roulette, like, wait, why mm-hmm. would you want to play that with your health when you don't understand what the long term implications of it are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really important to, to you know, for, especially for young people who have so much of their life, like, left to live. Why would mm-hmm. you want to be like, sick with mm-hmm. a comorbidity that's going to impact the quality of your life for many years to come. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and then in terms of natural immunity with like COVID-19. Um, you know, from a SARS-CoV-2 infection. So we're learning more, right? It is is a good response. It's from the data that we have, we don't think it's better than, you know, that elicited by mRNA. And and there are several theories, like the leading theory is that because there's all, there are all these inflammatory processes, right? Mm -hmm. When you are sick, because you have a whole virus. Um, It's, it's, um, it's less likely that you're going to, you know, elicit the antibodies that you need to, like the spike protein antibodies are much higher when you get a vaccine. Now Mm -hmm. here, what it, what's interesting. Um, One theory is that there are what we call viral reservoirs. So there's like Mm -hmm. virus left in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what they found with like people with natural immunity from a, from a prior infection is, oh, look, they, they, they may not produce more antibodies, but uh, the breadth of the response is, let's call it broader mm-hmm. than from an mRNA. But the reason for why that's happening is not a good one. It just means that there is a potential that there's just virus left in your body. And mm-hmm. that is a little concerning. Like what are the implications of that mm-hmm. years down the road mm-hmm. uh, of having like viral... and, and, and it is also one of the theories that is being investigated, people that are, you know, um, Akiko Wasaki. She's, she's from Yale, she's looking at long COVID, she's one of the leading researchers looking at long COVID, because they're trying to understand what is happening. And that is one of their, I think they have like three theories, and I can't recall the other two, but that's one of them, that there mm-hmm. are, that we just have, the person who has an infection, there's like minute, you know, like minute amounts of virus mm-hmm. left in the body and in the tissues, and what are the implications of that down the road? So these are mm-hmm. just things that we really want to consider, and I and I think, you know, un- unfortunately, it seems like, uh, like being healthy, and and I I like to say the word like healthy in quotes, like I always use it like quotes because mm-hmm. like you know, that's a very nuanced um, you know discussion um, mm-hmm. around health, but it's it's almost as if like it's it's been being pitted against vaccination. Like, oh, mm-hmm. if you exercise and if you eat a certain way and I'm like, well, why? Like you grew up with herd immunity from all other, mm-hmm. like all other diseases. In fact, mm-hmm. the only reason we know we know what we know about nutrition and, and sports and all that is because we were able to contain all these other diseases and now there's more research on all these other aspects. And, and, and as I said earlier, because we now live longer, lifestyle is, becomes more important. We have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that. You know, we, we know mm-hmm. that lifestyle really reduces the risk. The right lifestyle reduces the risk of certain outcomes. But why are we living longer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Part of it is because we have like vaccines and public health. <laughs> so it's just kind of like they're, 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 they're creating this mm-hmm. false dichotomy. And I'm like, you realize that the reason you get to worry about your healthy lifestyle is because of public health and vaccination. Absolutely, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a fascinating
1: like, <laughs> way it's, to look at it. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what
3: I, I did a post, my, my freedom post was about that. When I, I said mm-hmm. to people, like, you have freedom as a public health. Like it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's outrageous that people just don't really see that. And, you know, and I coming from a country that had less access to some of these resources, I'll tell you, like I grew up in the era of like, Pablo Escobar like Mm -hmm. you know like I was in like the 80s and -hmm. and I recall like I wasn't allowed to like walk outside like I wasn't allowed to just walk around the block at night because something could happen it could be dangerous Mm -hmm. right there Mm -hmm. was a lot of crime and Mm -hmm. I tell people like you know you know freedom is inherently tied to safety
2: Mm-hmm.
3: don't tell me don't tell me that you're going to like embark on that adventure if you if, if you don't feel safe doing it because most people i mean that's the reason why people unfortunately now feel like they don't they don't want to vaccinate us because they feel like the vaccines are unsafe right it's not mm-hmm. tied to like um mm-hmm. but but yeah like you know your freedom is tied to your safety and it public mm-hmm. health responses have made it safe for us so you mm-hmm. get to worry about your lifestyle because of vaccination right mm-hmm. <laughs> and so It shouldn't be pitted against each other. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think too, now we're getting to that time where a lot of us have been vaccinated six, seven, eight months. Mm -hmm. So now there's talk of the booster, right? So now with the booster, you know, being offered more and more widely, um, I think a lot of people have questions like they want to know, okay, is this booster, a isn't necessary if I've already been fully vaccinated. B, is it just a third like step? Like, is it the same, basically the same vaccine, yeah. but like a third dose? Yeah. Or is it something yeah. different? Or will it affect me? Could it affect me, you know, in a negative way if I get the booster now? Yeah. So I think a lot of that kind of stuff is swirling too, if you can clarify. Yeah. That.
3: Yeah, like totally talk about that. So we have to understand that this was, you know, vaccine clinical trials were done during a pandemic, right? <laughs> like it's like you know we're 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 in the process of trying to develop a vaccine while people are dying, right? So there's a big trade-off there, right? And so, you know, usually when you have like you know your first dose, you call it your prime, you know your your prime response, and then your boost, your boost response. And so I like to uh, make an example, like if you have a tomato garden and you want to make this really nice tomato sauce, but your tomatoes are just not that ripe yet. But, Mm. you know, like if you pick them too early, you might get tomato sauce sooner, but it might not be better. Whereas if you wait longer, those tomatoes, you know, will ripen and then you can get a better tomato sauce. So (laughs) with, with your immune response, what happens is that when that, first dose, right, your immune system sees, you know, like the mRNA produces the spike protein, you get those antibodies, but just like the virus evolves, our immune system has the ability of also kind of evolve, what we call antibody evolution. And so, you know, your your memory cells, they kind of, they keep getting like smarter, and there are several studies now that that continue, um, that show continued evolution of those responses. Mm -hmm. people think that boosting is just increasing the antibodies and it's a little bit more nuanced than that what Mm -hmm. you're doing is you're picking those better tomatoes so in order to pick the better tomatoes you have to allow enough time to go by Mm -hmm. right and so like when you're boosting you're actually telling the immune system hey hey i don't want all of you maybe i just want the best of you but there's got to be a time of maturation. And so usually with with children, you see that it's like, you know, like a two month, you're know, like an mm. eight week window, but we're, mm. we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so mm. they did, they they did it uh, three weeks for Pfizer, four weeks for Moderna. And it, it could be feasible that we, that we just needed to wait, a, you know, have a, a longer interval mm. to allow for more of that maturation to take place so that when you, Boost with that second dose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you would get a better response of so like the better cells get boosted, right? Like those better cells that produce the better antibodies. So that's something to always consider, right? Because is that that is like the trade-off of conducting a clinical trial during a pandemic while people are dying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so So that's one um, uh, kind of idea of like, oh, maybe, maybe if we waited a little bit longer, like the response could have been a little bit more robust Mm because, you know, we allow, you know, uh, affinity maturation, that's the process. We allow that to go on for a little bit longer. Uh, Or it could be that like other vaccines that have like three and four shots, you know, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine also requires three or four doses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so. You know, one of the things you know, I, I think, first of all, like with the booster, right? We know that when we when we we get our shots, we produce antibodies. Antibodies are critical so that you don't get an infection. But antibodies mm-hmm. wane. We know that. Like even from a natural infection, you produce like your spike of IgGs, and then they wane over time. And so, like the bigger question is, like, how long lasting is this? booster. And, and what is the effect of, of, of waning antibodies, right, Mm -hmm. which I don't really think of it as waning immunity, I just think it's part of like the natural immune response. Mm -hmm. Maybe that baseline, you know, at which those antibodies plateaued before Mm -hmm. was sufficient for the other strains that weren't as contagious, you know, because they, you know, there wasn't as much viral replication. Like, as I said, we have a lot more virus, it could be Mm -hmm. That now that baseline is insufficient to the extent that if you come in contact with the virus, you're going to, you know, you are like more likely to get an infection, mm-hmm. but again, you have your wall built up. So, mm-hmm. so then you, you, so you really got to look at it at this from like different age groups when we talk about boosters, mm-hmm. because younger people have an easier time building that wall just because of age, right? You know, immune system is more, you know, it's more robust. So when you're, they get the two doses, they have a pretty strong wall. So maybe the antibody, you know, levels are low. They might get a breakthrough infection um, mm-hmm. and uh, but they're not going to get severely sick. But with an older demographic for a demographic that is immunocompromised, they have a harder time building that wall, even from vaccination. And so mm-hmm. it, it, it may be that for that demographic, you know, giving that booster, Again, it's like you're taking these really great cells. Let's boost those, right? Elicit mm-hmm. a better response. Let's build up a stronger wall. Uh, and the initial data from Israel looks fantastic, but you know, it's it's still data that we're gathering, like you know, in real time. So it's 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 not data that has been around for very long. I think we have maybe like a month of data. I think they started their booster program like at the end of July. So not a lot of time. We know that it's working to prevent infection. It, it has worked to work to, uh, to the response against severe disease. We don't know how long, but it's it's done. So mainly in the older demographic, you don't see a huge change against severe disease in those under like you know fifty or sixty in Israel. You mm-hmm. see you you see it in the older demographic where they need more they need like more help in building that wall because that's the wall is what really keeps you from um from going to a hospital, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you don't have enough antibodies, those, you know, your, your memory immune responses, so like your B cells and your T cells, which are going to be there, they're the ones who are gonna kind of like, you know, get an alert message and say, hey, we know what to do. Like we have like the, you know, we have the information to make like the antibodies. So in even without antibodies, you have like a strong response there. And I just think it's been unfortunately, um, just not been communicated properly because you hear all these like reports right it's like oh you know uh vaccines aren't working there's all these breakthrough infections but it, it but yeah but you're clearing the virus a lot faster you mm-hmm. still have that wall but but yeah so so it, it's a little bit of nuance with that and the data is still pretty fresh in as far as how durable the response mm-hmm. is going to be um in that older demographic when we look at safety So safety data from Israel looks really good. They've they've administered boosters to almost 3 million people. Uh, There's only been one report of myocarditis, Um, but again, you have to be careful with that because at the same time, most of the population they boosted has been an older demographic. So until Mm -hmm. we get more, more data on the younger, we'll have a better idea of whether or not there's a higher risk of myocarditis. So far, they haven't, they, they, as of like a week ago, they hadn't reported a single instance of myocarditis in, in, in the young teen mm. demographic. They, and, and overall, the response seems to be milder than, than the second dose. Mm. Uh, but again, those results could be skewed because it's an older demographic that has gotten the booster relative mm. to like, you know, a, a much broader and younger demographic.
1: So our time's almost up, and thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and wisdom and analysis and data. I, what do we, what about now? Like where, where we're sitting right now with COVID, what do you see? Um, from your expertise is going to be the future because I said to my husband recently I was like you know what I just feel like people who aren't going to get vaccinated at some point are just not going to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So yeah. either people are just going to get COVID some sadly are going to pass away and some are going to get some kind of immune <laughs> response it's going to probably take a hell of a lot longer than it could have um maybe years so i'm like what do you see the future with covid do you think that it's going to take years and do you think there's just going to be a lot more deaths until we kind of get this handled
3: yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's part of it, right? If, if we don't have a, 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 a population that has protection, there will unfortunately be more deaths. I, I, I do like what I'm seeing more in as far as the vaccine equity. So, you know, there are more doses are going to the lower and middle income nations, which I think is really important because we also want to prevent new emerging variants, right? I mean, if we take a look at the variants, they've emerged every single time, <laughs> like you let the virus run rampant, Mm-hmm. You get a, a terrible new variant. So that's important. I think COVID, you know, it, it, it's it's endemic. It's, we know already it's going to be endemic. I think that, you know, I, and I did a post on this, like, how does it end? I, I do see the trajectory that it will become like a childhood disease, like chickenpox. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like, you know, this is what, but that is under the, you know, like the assumption that the majority of the adult population, you know, now has. now has some type of immunity immunity to it right um you know with with delta it's so transmissible that we need like i think the threshold is like 95 percent of like you know immunity we we we're also there's also other things so you know we also have to consider that just because this is the vaccination schedule that we have now it might change right Mm -hmm. so they're working on other vaccines there are and we really, mm-hmm. I haven't talked much about it, but really to prevent an infection, you need what we call mucosal immunity. So you need it to be in your airway. You mm-hmm. So, for instance, with other diseases, the reason you don't get the infection is because in order for you to get sick, it has to get to your blood, but your antibodies are in your blood. But here it's like the first ride of exposure is your nasal cavity, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, so intranasal vaccines, I know they're being, they're working on that. There is another strategy, which is called the prime and pull strategy. So there will be other interventions. There are also a couple of uh, therapeutics that are being explored, like, um, you know, for treatments um, that are showing, you know, uh, some promise, um, including like an antidepressant. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, Mm -hmm. fluvoxamine. Yeah, like they, I don't know how they stumbled onto it, but it's on, it's, I think it's in phase three right now. And I know Pfizer also interestingly also has an oral medication. So there'll be other, you know, uh, kind of like routes of intervention outside of vaccination. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of rapid testing. Like I've been saying it for like a year and a half. I said, if, if everybody just had like a, a rapid test that plugged to their phone, <laughs> Like, you know, that would, you know, mm-hmm. that would like, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, my husband was working with a company that was kind of interested in that. And I'm talking to other people, like, how do we, I mean, we could make, like, we could make these, we can make these guys, like, how mm-hmm. can we not make like a sensor, you know, because I think rapid testing is really imagine it being like a daily ritual. Like you brush your teeth. Hey, you wake up every couple of days, you take a little test and from there, that really, especially with Delta, where there is a lot more virus present, so it makes mm-hmm. those tests a lot more sensitive. Um, I think that could also be a viable strategy to, you know, to kind of move things along, you know, so that we don't have to wait to like 95% of the population has mm-hmm. like some type of immunity, because, you know, as we wait, more children are born, right? So that kind mm-hmm. of also changes, Right. Um, but, 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 you know, when I, when I worked with Charlotte and she's, um, an epidemiologist from the, from the UK, um, we, we kind of, you know, we did a post on this. It's called, how does it end? And we, we kind of said, you know, it's most likely going to turn into like a childhood disease, Yeah, but it's going to take a while for us to get there. And we need other layers of risk mitigation, you know, uh, as we go through the waves, I think, like checking the weather, you're going to check mm-hmm. like your risk
2: mm-hmm. level
3: in your community. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, if there is less than one case per hundred thousand, I am good to go. Maybe I can go outside and, and you know, and, and learn how to layer um, those different strategies. Like mm-hmm. something that we got from like the 1918, like Spanish flu, pandemic was this idea of washing our hands, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. people now wash their hands more, right? So, so I mean, people talk about like, oh, are masks going to be like a new thing? Like every time you feel like a little sick, like we know that it works, Japan, China, Singapore, Mm -hmm. all these countries regularly wear wear masks. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's just part of their norm. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the different intervention strategies they have for other infectious pathogens, even before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but I think one of the reasons um, uh, this is challenging it's because, first of all, this doesn't happen really often. Right? It's just like once every like several decades, hundred years, uh, and then we're also living through it in a time of you know heightened politicization of the events, um, and of course, social media. You know, fake news travels a lot faster, is more far-reaching broader reaching than information that reliable Mm -hmm. sources of information and it just makes it really really challenging Mm -hmm. um and and i think those are one of the things that we really want to like address um as time goes by that's why i do what i do when other people Mm -hmm. also do what i do is to try to kind of curb that other aspect which has much more far reaching implications, even outside of like the COVID-19 pandemic and like what it means for health outcomes in general.
2: You know, I was gonna say, I think we are already seeing those changes and Tam and I think you've seen it too. Is even in work life how it's changed everything because, oh like, goodness. I know, yeah. yeah, I know for me, I have my first big red carpet that I'm doing tomorrow night, like in person, in person. <laughs> but I had to go today and get my test, you know, like 72 yeah. hours. You have to get it before you appear on the carpet and you have to present your vaccination card. And I know with you, Tamman, on set, right, like, you have mm-hmm. to take your COVID tests. And they're so now saying saving. that you can't
1: even be on set. Like, I just got a thing that said, um, the audition. You can only audition for this if you're vaccinated, 100% vaccinated set. So there won't even be sets that will be even open to people who aren't unvaccinated and I understand how people think that that takes away their freedom but then I also understand if I was putting the money into a project and the project had to be shut down for two Mm -hmm. weeks I I might not have that money to pay for that you know and yes you can still get COVID but again it's a much less likely chance that you will so it's a less likely chance Mm -hmm. that production would have to be shut down you know so it's it's it it is a difficult thing to say but you're saying Mm -hmm. work-life Roxy because also like so much of it's now going to be like this as well like do we need everything to be a meeting do we need everything to see right. i mean auditions yeah. will be on tape i think probably for the rest of time like why are actors going in and spending half their day driving to places where we could just do it over tape
2: yeah it's just oh so much yeah easier. The, yeah yeah
3: and uh telehealth that's here to say yeah. so i i I'm, I'm i'm good friends with a guy who sold his telehealth company like a year ago for a <laughs> lot of money and that's here to stay um, mm-hmm. You know, the way we work, the way we travel, like, you know, mm-hmm. working from home, uh, even like living, like, does this mean that people can have like a more nomadic life and like travel from country to country? We and have been on the road for a year. <laughs> right? And how will that impact housing? Are people going to be like, there's all these different aspects of it. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, you know, it usually, you know, this represents, of course, COVID-19 pandemic represents a loss. For many people, the mm-hmm. loss of life, but it's also opening like so much opportunity. You know, one one of the things that I see that is really fascinating is that now there is um, a lot of research now going into long COVID, which plays into you know chronic fatigue syndrome and all these other mm-hmm. things that have gone by unaddressed. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it's probably very similar. Why do people feel? That they have chronic fatigue after certain infections, right? And so it's it's just kind of fascinating how it's mm. how it's also going to open opportunities for like housing and business and testing and all these other aspects mm. that we yeah. that we just ha- and that's kind of like a lot of what I do. Like I'm just always kind of like thinking creative solutions. Here's here's our reality. Let's think about creative solutions. And let's mm-hmm. be a little bit smarter about how we think of the risks associated with that. Because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as mm-hmm. a person who loves technology, I will tell you that I do feel that that's something that has been lacking in the past is proper insight. What are the ramifications of introducing mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this technology? <laughs> um, like iPhones are great, but it's also a great conduit for misinformation, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, so these are all things to think about, but it, it it's... Definitely transformative.
2: Yeah. I will say Bucks- I wish I brought I wish I bought stock in Zoom in February 2020. Oh freaking doodle. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom and that all oh, of oh, so many posts oh, probably hi, hi, went hi. up like yeah. crazy. Wow. Yes, wow. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, remember, do you? you remember,
1: Roxy, when they were like Zoom and I'm like, Zoom, what? It's <laughs> <I was>, like, <laughs> I can't even figure out how to turn my computer on, let alone have conversations and tape it on a podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. And hey, do you
2: remember yeah. when we were doing like the Zoom and like the secondary like sound? We were like, we had so many things going on. <laughs> we were, like, And now look my at parents us. didn't even know how to
1: turn it on. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely techno Thank yeah. God. You know what? Thank God for technology, especially during like the Spanish flu would have been a whole different experience i mean like at least we were able to connect with each other albeit over you know technology but at least there was a way to like see people and feel less Mm -hmm. alone and less isolated because i can't even imagine even kids doing school i mean oh yeah you know there's always things that aren't great about social media and technology but i think for the most part it does give us more than it takes
3: so Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank really you does. so much, Nene. Thank you. Me, me, it was my me. pleasure. <laughs> Thank you and where, for having yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, and where can we find you? And
1: yeah. people can ask questions. Please, please let them know where they can find out more information.
3: Yeah. Um, so I am at Nini and the Brain. Uh, that's my Instagram handle, and that's where I am most active. And um, and yeah, and then. Whenever you have a question, just feel free to like send me a DM. I'm always happy to answer questions or uh, send you a post that might answer your question because I've probably done a post on it
2: <laughs>
3: already. Um, and uh, yeah, and you know, and this week we're actually I'm um, talking mostly about distortion. It's like distortions in thinking and how we mm-hmm. we fail to like. You now I'm working with a dermatologist and we're looking at all these risks from. Um, Fillers and Botox, and I'm like reading through them, and I'm like, "Man, this makes vaccines look like a log
2: in I know.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm like, I had a friend who went blind a little bit for like a, a week. Yeah, like, what? I've never heard someone blind the from the papers. vaccine.
3: Yeah, you I know. Uh, yeah, I was like reading the papers, and I was like, hmm all right Botox
2: is probably yeah. a hell of a lot worse for you yeah well yeah. I was gonna say too if if COVID made you have like boils and gorgers yeah if over it made face, you attractive you better believe, then yeah every you person everyone would get that vaccine it made it you made wealthy you, or
1: yeah. <laughs> th- thin or pretty I promise you they would be I spending mean, the money
3: lining up it, That's it, it, sad it's sad about it it's fascinating but yeah. it is fascinating to see mm-hmm. how we evaluate risk right and, yeah. it, and it's just like it's like oh wow like we we I think it has to do also with the idea of a, uh, as again the absence of disease from an invisible virus versus that immediate gratification of fixing something mm-hmm. that you're able to see right away. Um, but we'll we'll be talking about that this week. That should mm. be that should be a fun fun conversation. Fun fun post.
2: So everyone should check that out.
1: Thank you you so much for listening. I hope that answers some of your questions. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Women on Top
2: Official on Instagram. And Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And the Women on Top group on Clubhouse. And don't forget to rate subscribe and comment on your favorite (laughs) podcast app about us so we can keep bringing you amazing amazing guesses like (laughs) Like nini (laughs) see it's like almost
1: like we it's almost like we wrote that out and thanks guys for listening i'm tam and sursock and i am roxy manning and we are (gasps) women make it good rocks